You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Amanda. Hi, I'm Chelsea. Hi, I'm Grace. Hey, I'm Sarah. So today we're going to talk about the case of Lynn Stansfield and Dale Wolf. Um, they were a couple living in a house in Duncannon when they were killed in 1993. Their bodies were discovered after a fire was called in and firefighters arrived on the scene. Obviously, I'm going to dive into some deeper details about the home and the fire later on. Um, but something that really stands out with this case is that firefighters also found a bike on the scene, and it's just about the only official clue in the case. So just a little bit about Lynn and Dale. They were both in their 40s, and they lived in the countryside of Duncannon. At the time of their deaths, Lynn was 46, and she was a white female because it's Perry County, and that's pretty much what that's made up of. And Dale was a 43-year-old, also white male. Um, now, Lynn and Dale were actually both handicapped. Dale was in a car accident years before. I couldn't find specific details about the accident, but it did leave him with a physical handicap. And Lynn had an aggressive form of arthritis that made it difficult for her to even walk or stand up from a sitting position or really move around at all. Now, Duncannon is a town in Perry County, and according to the U.S. Census, it had under 1,500 citizens in the 1990s. The population hasn't changed a whole lot to now. It has gone up a little bit. Um, but just for reference, the college that I went to for undergrad has about 1,800 students on campus any given year. So my tiny college campus was bigger than the population of this entire town. Basically, within Duncannon, you have the borough, which is the town itself, which is just about three streets that are three quarters to a mile long, a little section of a neighborhood up on a hill, and that's it. Um, the rest of what's considered Duncannon is kind of the country part, which is out in the Penn Township area is what it's called. And uh, the addresses there are still Duncannon, but it's more spread out. And there's more farm areas, more woods, things like that. So where Lynn and Dale lived was in that Penn Township area where they were out in the more country wooded area. Aside from the fact that there is at least one relative of Dale's still in the area, I really couldn't find too much about them and who they were in their lives other than the fact that they were peaceful people and they were just the kind of people that everybody loved. Um, in an interview with a family member of Dale's, this family member did say that they were both the kindest people that you ever could have met and they never would have done harm to anybody. So now that leads us to the question, why would somebody kill them and then set fire to their house? So this happened between December 7th and 8th, 1993. 
They put the time of death somewhere between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. I was actually able to connect with a first responder who was on the scene, and I got a little bit of information from this first responder. Uh, they told me when they first arrived on scene, there honestly really wasn't much of a fire burning at all. So it did come in as a house fire. But by the time they got there, there really weren't many flames. News reports state that an accelerant was used and this lines up with the idea of not much fire burning by the time the firemen got there. This person that I talked to said that when they got there, they did see two bodies. They pulled the male, which we now know is Dale, from the structure, but then um, the Pennsylvania State Police directed them not to pull the female from the home because they realized once Dale was outside that this was a murder before the fire and they wanted to kind of have everything in place for recreation of the scene, um, trying to kind of preserve as much of the crime scene as you can when things are on fire. So question for you, because I've seen that a lot of cases having problems because fires have been started to cover up and then they go in, they try to save, they mess with evidence. Is there any type of technique or any type of way to establish this or is it just kind of we're going in to try to save somebody and pull them or is there anything like that so i did talk to this person and i asked them a couple questions about you know like so why was dale pulled out but lynn was left and the basic explanation was we didn't know anything bad had happened beyond the fire until they got him out um but Amanda's our resident firefighter, so she might know a little bit more about this. Um, so typically, uh, you're there to, to save life first and property second. If there are reports of possibly two people inside, your game plan when you first get there is to do a search and to get the people out. Um, so preserving something at that point... Um, you know, you don't think about it going in right away. You think, Hey, like we need to save the people because you assume that they're still alive. Um, and the same goes for, for working on an ambulance. You know, the person that you're treating comes first and the crime scene second. Obviously, if you get there and you know they're dead, dead, then you're not going to trample all over thing. Um, but typically it, you worry about the person first and then go. So can I ask another question then? Like, obviously it's not the case in this case, mm -hmm. but what happens if it's less obvious that they were murdered? Um, what if there's not as much evidence maybe to the bodies? Would the game plan just be to get everyone out then? Is that, that's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah. If there's no, yeah. Yeah. The game plan is always, um, life, life safety first and okay. preserving property second. So unless like in this case, he had bullet holes in him. Um, so that immediately throws up a red flag and considering like they're saying that there wasn't a lot of fire, they can work a little bit more to preserve, um, the crime scene. But now if you pulled them out and maybe this person was strangled and you didn't see the obvious marks because maybe they have soot, um, and you didn't see it, or they had a shirt on and you didn't quite see it, then you would just refer it back to life safety first. Okay. So next question for you. <laughs> um, so when you say preserving the scene, is there something special that they do or do they just let the fire go out on its own? Um, I would think that using like a lot of water to put out fire, fire, like even as little as Sarah had said, 
Would that destroy evidence? Is there something else you do to preserve said evidence if you know it is a crime scene? Um, fire, I mean, obviously fire and water do a lot of damage, especially to any DNA evidence. Um, in this situation, they would probably have, um, tried to, unless the fire was near the body, try and direct the fire away. Or maybe once they had it contained, try and use as little of water as possible and not really like trample that area. Uh, it all depends on where the fire was. I'm assuming it was probably near the bodies because I would think they probably poured accelerant near them or on them to start it. Um, I, I don't know in that instance without actually seeing it, what you could possibly do. Okay. Just wondering. And there are some pictures that we'll put up on the Instagram along with this case where you can see a little bit of the damage that was done. Um, we're going to get into the idea of an accelerant in a little bit. Or I guess I did already mention that. Um, but when they were able to get the fire out and they looked at everything, it was really just like the living room area and the kitchen that were burned. Um, it really wasn't much more of the house. And um, like I said, you know, the the person that I spoke with told me it was basically out when they got there. Um they had to use a little bit of water, but it really didn't take much. Um, and from what I understand, based on the investigation, it didn't interfere too much. Uh, but there were other factors that interfered more than the fire. Um, kind of continuing on with fire. And again, Amanda, you're the resident firefighter here, so you know, just throw information out. Um, basically in order for fire to happen, you have to have the right conditions. Think about any time you've tried to start a campfire or a wood burning fireplace or a wood stove. There's always some effort you've got to put in there. And I know like on a cold day when I'm trying to start a fire in my fireplace, I get really agitated and usually go to like a Duraflame and light it and then just start putting logs on top of it because I just get frustrated with it. So it doesn't just spark out of nowhere. Um, fire burns best when it has oxygen and something to burn. So if you deprive a fire of oxygen, it's not going to burn. Kind of like when you put a lid on a candle and it kind of sucks that flame out because there's no oxygen to feed it anymore. So that is what we call the fire triangle or the fire um, tetrahedron. The simple version is the fire triangle, um, and it relates to you need three parts to create fire. You need heat, oxygen, and fuel. The idea is that when you lose one of those components, that the fire goes out. So like you said, with a candle, when you use a lighter, that's your heat source. The wick is your fuel, and the top of the candle being open is ox has the oxygen. So if you've ever put a lid on a candle and you see how it has that thick black smoke, it'll eventually put itself out because it's starved of oxygen. There's other factors that go into that, that fire is deprived of oxygen. You can worry about backdrafts and things like that, but that wasn't obviously the case in this situation. The same thing that happens when you starve the candle can happen with a house fire. If there's no oxygen, if all the oxygen gets burned up, um, 
In this case, the thought is that an accelerant of some sort was used. It hasn't been confirmed 100%. The accelerant hasn't been identified, but it it really does seem to fit the scene. Now, if you have an accelerant, it's consumed more quickly, or it can cause whatever is touching the accelerant to be consumed in flame more quickly. And that means it needs more oxygen to keep going because if you lose the oxygen, you lose the flame. Now, if all the doors and windows are shut in the house and the accelerant is used, then the fire is going to eat up the accelerant and all the oxygen very quickly. And that kind of contributes to why it would put itself out, at least from what I understand. Um, and like Amanda mentioned, you can go into all the other things of like a backdraft can happen and, um, you can have some different things when a fire is starved and then oxygen comes back in. But again, uh, that didn't happen here. So we're not going to go into all of that. Um, now with that being said, basically what we know is that a fire was set, the fire department was called. And they discovered Lynn and Dale in the house, both DOA. Now, when this firefighter that I spoke with described going onto the scene and pulling Dale out, they said they did what they always do. And, you know, like Amanda said earlier, you deal with the people first, the property later. They pull the victims out, then assess it later. Uh, once Dale was out of the house and it was clear that he had been shot, that there was this homicide that's when the entire case changed um, to an investigation rather than just putting out the fire. It was later discovered that Lynn had also been shot, but in addition to being shot, she had been stabbed. So if we're assuming that there's one killer, because remember, there's one bike sitting outside the house and they're both physically disabled, so the bike is probably not theirs. Why are there two different methods of killing. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit when we talk about theories, but kind of plant that seed in your head. Now, while I'm mentioning the bike, I want to hop back to that idea and think about what it can tell us about the person who committed this act. So this area of Duncannon is not like a town. There's not sidewalks. There's not street lamps. There's telephone poles, but you've basically got a backcountry road that you can fit two cars on, and that's about it. Um, and honestly, it's not too often that there are two cars driving out this road, especially this time of night. So if somebody is using the bike to get there, a, they've got to know where they're going because it's dark. So they've got to know what house they're heading towards. And um, it's an area that they've probably ridden the bike on before or have some sort of comfort with. The weird thing that comes out of finding this bike is if they rode the bike there, why didn't they ride the bike away? Um, now, the area, and there's a photo of this on our Instagram as well, of the an aerial map of the neighborhood. And you can see it's not the kind of area that you'd be able to just ride through the grass. Like, sometimes you can kind of just 
put a little more effort in, you can ride a bike through the grass. This area is hills and trees and thick woods, and that wouldn't have been a possibility. So, I mean, when we get more into the theories, we will kind of talk a little bit more about the bike as it comes up, but it seems weird that it was used to get to the house, but not used to leave the house. And I would think it would be recognized by someone. I rode a bike a lot as a kid, and I remember everybody's bike in the neighborhood. So I can't imagine that somebody couldn't identify it. If maybe he sustained some type of injury, well, he or she sustained some type of injury that they couldn't ride the bike away. I mean, was there any evidence that that could have happened? Maybe. Um, there's nothing on Lynn or Dale that I know of that that they had any sort of defensive wounds, but also fire. So it, that could have been a, a distractor from any sort of defensive wounds. Plus they were shot. So, I mean, how do you fight back from that? So, yeah. I also don't think that if you shot someone, stabbed someone, set their house on fire, that you're going to hop back on your huffy and go on the road that the police and fire and EMS are coming down. It just, to me, doesn't make sense. You would kind but wouldn't of... you want to hide your bike, though? Like... Maybe they forgot about it. Yeah. I think it is odd that he or she didn't hide the bike. But again, I mean, I'm kind of with Chelsea on this. You just killed two people. You set fire to their house. You're going to be thinking, I want to get out of here, not let me hide my bike. Um, Especially if that's one more stop Mm -hmm. on the way of getting out. And um, definitely, Amanda, I agree with you. If they would have to take that same road back out, I mean, that's all there is in that area. So... Why would you get back on the road on a bike at 1 a.m. and know that fire trucks and police vehicles are going to be coming your direction? Can I ask another question? Um, Yeah. You said that this is like kind of like country farmland. I'm wondering how close our neighbors are because, I mean, I'm thinking like tons of acres between each other. I'm hearing a smaller fire. No, I'm wrong they're not super super far apart so this area of the road the farther you go out this road the farther the houses are um this is probably i think it's the fourth or fifth house off the road now now i think one or two of those houses are newer that they weren't there in 93 even still i mean they're maybe a quarter mile out this road and there's at least four or five houses that you pass on the way. Okay. So it's, it's not super secluded, but they're not like, there are tree lines between the houses and you know, they're not on top of each other. They're but like an acre or two not... plots basically between them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, the, the fire was called in because someone saw, obviously, Lynn and Dale couldn't call the fire in. So they were close enough that somebody saw it and was able to alert 
Yeah, that's was my I question. That call. Yeah. So now I don't live here anymore, but I grew up in Duncannon and one of my best childhood friends lived on this road. Um, so where this happened is the 400 block. And if my memory serves me correctly, um, I spent a lot of time on the 900 block. So it wasn't super close, but still out this road. And I even think a little bit about like when we would ride bikes at her house, she had a long driveway and we would just ride bikes up the driveway and back down and up the driveway and back down. I mean, we never even took bikes on the road because it was twisty, turny. You never know what was going to be coming. Um, so just kind of throwing that thought out there with the bike as well. Um, but I was actually able to get in contact with one of the neighbors who lived in the area at this time when this took place. And he shared some interesting perspectives with me. So um, a little fun fact, I guess, about Duncannon is it's a little town that seems to have everything or at least its own form of everything. And that includes an airport, which is a land strip on a hill but we call it the Duncannon Airport. And I think one time someone like flew out of there and went to Canada or did like some short stint. So they started calling it the Duncannon International Airport. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the memories that this neighbor had was that a relative of Dale's would fly a plane out of this airport, this land strip, uh, and there were banners on the back of the plane that said, you can fly too. And as soon as I mentioned this case to him, he was like, oh, oh yeah, uh, Dale, Dale had a family member that would fly planes off of that. And, and that was something we always remembered. And he kind of said that that really was the whole family from what he could remember that they were fun. They were smart. I mean, it, it takes some skill to be able to fly an airplane. I don't want to go do it, but you know, it, it shows that you can at least fly an airplane and the fact that he's willing to allow other people to learn. He said that was pretty much a, a good look at what the entire family was like. That, even though it's not directly about Dale, it kind of helps us understand a little bit about his family. And from what this neighbor remembers, Dale and Lynn's house was always a quiet house. There was never anything crazy, no, you know, raging parties or anything like that. And he said that Dale and Lynn never really appeared off to him. Um, you know, as neighbors, if he'd see him outside, they'd wave, whatever. But he said the area itself around their house always felt creepy. Um, and I kind of asked him why. And he's like, I don't know. It just, it always had this vibe and it wasn't them, but there was something about the house or like that area that just kind of gave him this vibe. Like the hills have eyes? I, I guess. <laughs> um but I mean, I can kind of understand that because he described something specific about the house to me that made it stand out that it used to have bright orange rocks that lined the driveway. It's not there anymore. I mean, you can look up the address in any of the articles about this case and find it. Um, 
But he said, he's like, there was just always something a little bit off about something there. But he said, you know, like Dale and Lynn were fine people. It it wasn't anything with them. It just, there was something that felt apparently like the hills have eyes. I don't know. He did say that he couldn't remember if maybe it felt off to him before the murders or if it was after the murders. Um, he and his wife did live out that way maybe for three or four years, I think, before this happened. And then, you know, he was there probably another 15 years after. So he said he may have just been kind of misremembering it or associating it with it later, but it it just kind of had that feeling. And he actually went on to say that he felt like the road had some sort of curse on it. And he kind of chuckled it off, said it lightheartedly. But there was also this sense of sincerity that went with it. And he went on to explain that there were neighbors who got cancers and sicknesses just out of the blue. Then this absolutely random double homicide with fire occurs. And then actually his wife passed away from something that came out of nowhere after a family vacation. And, you know, he was just kind of talking through and he's like, it's just all of these things. And he's like, I don't think the road has anything to do with it, but it's weird when you've got all of these events kind of happening at once. It sounds like there might be something in the water and that we should call Aaron Brockovich. I mean, it's Perry County. There's always something in the water. Mm. It, it is what it is. Um, but like I said, I mean, he laughed it off. We're not here to talk about curses and conspiracies or anything like that. But it was really interesting to hear from someone that lived there before and after this happened. So... That's kind of the basic information, and we're going to dive into a couple theories, and some more information will come out as we go through some of these theories. So earlier I told you to hang on to that question about one killer with two methods. Um, I want to kind of roll into that now. Um, now, there is a theory, it doesn't officially come from investigators or police or anything, that whoever committed this act either didn't know that there were two people there, or didn't know what they would have access to, or um, they didn't know how much it would take to kill a person. In general, uh, the thought is that one was killed first with one method, and then they switched to the other method. Um, now, it really could go either way. Either the killer started with a knife, which is suspected to have been a knife from the kitchen, but never confirmed, and realized it wasn't as effective, meaning that they would have started the attack on Lynn, realized it wasn't effective, and then found Dale's gun. Or that the gun was the first weapon and it ran out of ammo, therefore moving to a knife. So they would have started by shooting Dale and then shot Lynn and it didn't finish everything off. So they grabbed a knife and stabbed. Um, so, I mean, it could kind of go either way based on those thoughts. Well, I have a question. So, I mean, if I was going to go kill someone, I suppose I would always think to go for the male first, because I don't know, in my head, that would be He's the strongest person. 
Yeah, I would think of him more as a threat. Is it possible that maybe there was more motive for the wife, that there was maybe more anger towards her to give that, you know, second approach or just wanted to mutilate her more after she died? I'm not just wondering. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing because especially since stabbing is much more personal than shooting someone. Um, kind of a follow-up question to that. Do we know, I know that Dale was pulled out kind of, I mean, prematurely, I guess, but do we know how the bodies were found and are there any other signs that maybe it was someone that had something against Lynn? Yes and no. Um, a lot of it is speculation. So we do know that, um, what do we know? I don't know. My brain just froze. (laughs) So... Let me try that sentence again. Um, we do know that Dale was pretty much right inside the doorway. Possible that he was trying to get out of the house and couldn't, or that just happened to be where he was standing. And Lynn was on the couch, which checks out with the fact that she had this really aggressive form of arthritis, that she would be kind of relaxing or laying down when this kind of surprise took over. Um, so I, I agree with the thought that again, I'm with Chelsea. I'm not going to be committing murders, but if I were, I would definitely go for the male first. Um, especially if it's someone that knows the couple because Dale can move better than Lynn can. So you would want to take him down first, which is a horrible way of saying that, but it's also that surprise of attack. Like, right. Like if Dale, if you're going after Lynn first, uh, Dale would obviously know what's happening and be like more ready. Except when you have that surprise of attack, it's, you're not like prepared or ready or at like a stance or, you know what I mean? It's like different. Right. And it makes sense when you think about like the male female, um, the fact that he can move better than she can. And it kind of makes sense if he was shot first, because then if the killer ran out of bullets, but Lynn was still alive, or maybe the bullets killed her, but they just still wanted to get more aggression out if it was more aimed at her, which one of the other theories that we'll get into kind of goes towards um, that they just kind of wanted to get more anger out, um, which is horrible. So did they recover the knife that they assume it came from the kitchen or was it, there's a knife just missing from the kitchen because that kind of speaks to not being premeditated. So, As far as I know, no. Um, They do have a pretty good feeling about the gun, and I'll get to that here in just a minute. But as far as the knife goes, the kitchen took most of the damage from the fire. So I'm not sure if they chalked it up to fire damage. There might be a knife missing, um, but they never specifically found one, at least that I know of, that was directly tied to her um that could have been the one that made the wound so not entirely sure the other thing that some people have suggested is 
that the killer started with Lynn and attacked with the knife and then Dale came out with the gun and the killer somehow got the gun from Dale or just knew where Dale kept the guns. There is some evidence that leads to the fact that it most likely was Dale's gun that was used. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll hop to that in a little bit. Um, kind of hopping back to what Grace mentioned is that there could be a possible motive of love or jealousy or something. Um, either a former lover of Dale's or Lynn's could have been jealous. It could have been a friend of one or the other or a family member of one or the other that was jealous of something. Uh, there is a theory that Lynn's ex-husband may have been involved that, you know, maybe he shot Dale first, ran out of bullets, or had anger towards Lynn, so that's where the knife comes in. But again, total speculation throwing that out there. Um, it's, it's not an official theory. It's something that I've heard from some community members and things that, that they think of it. Um, like I said, I do know that Lynn's body was found on the couch, but I don't know that that helps us a whole lot, but it's some of the information that we have. It's almost as if um, I agree with Dale being first and that maybe whatever altercation took place was Lynn on the couch. They were talking or there was, it feels like there was some kind of conversation had before he stabbed her however many times. Cause that's really personal. Like you have to be really angry to stab somebody. I'd imagine it's exhausting. I would think so. And, oh, I forget if it was Mythbusters or there was some show, and I'm totally going off memory here, so maybe I dreamed this up, but there was some show that actually figured out the science of, like, what it would take to stab somebody and the, like, pressure that you would need to use. And it, I don't know, I might have made this up. But I have a memory of at some point watching this show where they talked about like how much effort it would actually take and that it would really take a toll on your body to have to like stab a person multiple times. Um, did they figure out from an autopsy whether she died from the stab wounds or from the gun wounds? The autopsy has never been released, okay. so I'm just going off the word of the fact that the first responders report that she was stabbed and shot. Okay. Um, now, there's something here that kind of leads me more towards a second-degree murder versus a first-degree, kind of like I think Amanda said earlier about intent and motive. Um so if we go back to the beginning, we've got this bike. It's a 10-speed yellow J.C. Penny bike. It didn't belong at the house, but it was there, right? We already said that neither Dale nor Lynn most likely was riding this bike because of both of their physical handicaps. So somebody probably rode it there, fled on foot. We talked about that a little bit. Um Honestly, not too much has changed in this immediate area that I can't think of how you would flee 
other than through the woods. Like we said earlier, you're not going to get on your bike and go back on the road. Just like you're not going to go walk on the road at 1, 2 a.m. knowing that first responders are going to be there. So they would have had to escape through these wooded areas. So this is where Dale's gun comes into play. A year after the murders, a neighbor down 274, which is a state route that runs perpendicular through the road that they lived on, about half a mile away from where they lived, found a gun stowed in a pine tree that was later identified as Dale's gun. I'm not sure if they ever compared the bullets. I'm not sure exactly how many bullets were fired, if it would match up. Um, but, like, that's a little sketchy. I mean, I don't think Dale decided to just walk half a mile and stick his gun in a pine tree one day. It, I feel like it has to be connected. I come back to thinking how we were speculating that Dale was shot first and then Lynn was stabbed and the theory of how much effort it takes to stab someone. I can't imagine that they would hold on to a gun while they're stabbing someone. So they either put it in their, like in their waistband, in their back, or they like put it down and maybe thought, Oh, I should take that with me since we don't know if the knife was found, but it seems unless it was reversed and she was killed first, I can't imagine holding a gun and stabbing somebody. It's a valid point. It does seem weird. Um, and it could also be one of those things that, because this case is still technically open, um, that they might have more details about this that just aren't revealed yet. But basically all I know is that the gun was identified as Dale's that was found a year later. Um, now this kind of, I'll, there's a theory I'm going to get to in a minute, but it does involve somebody that is related to Lynn's ex-husband who committed insurance fraud. And part of it had to do with him stashing his own guns and then claiming that they were destroyed um, to get insurance money. So I'm wondering if maybe this was a gun that this person had borrowed for some reason or I just it I don't like that it was just like hidden in a tree it just seems weird kind of like Amanda was hinting at if they left with the gun did they also leave with the knife and if not maybe the shooting was second because again you know you're not gonna hold a gun while you're stabbing someone um I did see a theory like I said earlier, that someone was attacking Lynn and Dale drew his gun in protection and the the story kind of flipped. Um, and originally there was a thought that it was a murder-suicide, but it doesn't seem to me that a murder-suicide would make sense with multiple bullet wounds and stab wounds in both parties. It wasn't, you know, a single gunshot wound to the head of one and multiple to the other. 
and then the gun being found farther away. It, that theory just doesn't seem to line up to me, but I wanted to throw it in here because it was a thought. Now, there's a theory that a man named Marty Stansfield was involved. And typically, I wouldn't throw names out, but um, this is a very common theory. And the reason I throw the name out is because of the last name. So he has the same last name as Lynn. The reason for that is because he is Lynn's ex-husband's cousin. So there's kind of that divorced but still family connection there. This is definitely speculation. I've heard from a myriad of community members, and I haven't been able to confirm it officially, but it's kind of a general thought among the people that are in that area and that knew Lynn and Dale. From what I was able to gather from community members, um, Marty was a contractor and he was hired to do some sort of addition or a remodel on Lynn and Dale's house. Now, something went wrong with it. Um, either the work wasn't up to par or it wasn't complete. Something was going on because it went to court and when it went to court, they found in favor of Lynn and Dale. And shortly after that, Lynn's birthday was coming up and they decided to throw a party to celebrate her birthday. Part of this was a, yeah, we won the court case. Yeah, it's Lynn's birthday. But part of it was also because Lynn was afraid it was going to be her last birthday because of retribution from Marty after he had been threatening her. Within a couple weeks, they were dead and the house was on fire. Hmm. The timing seems convenient. Um, now, of course, some interesting tidbits. Like I said, he is Lynn's ex-husband's cousin. And in December of 1990, so three years before, his house was set fire to by someone who broke into the house or so it was initially suspected. Now, earlier I told you that the street that we're talking about, Lynn and Dale lived in the 400 block. Marty lived in the 300 block. And it actually, the road, like I said, crosses that highway, the state road that I mentioned before, and the 300 block is on the other side of the state road. So you would have to cross that state road to get over to the 300 block where Marty lived. When his house caught fire, he filed an insurance claim that he had lost. I thought, I think it was like $370,000 worth of property and valuables and whatever. And part of that was his guns. But later, his guns were not burned. Um, and they found out that he actually had set the fire himself in order to make the insurance claim and get that money. Um, so he is currently in jail for insurance fraud related to that fire and the payout. Um, a lot of people in the community seem to think that he's guilty and in jail for the murders, 
because as I was speaking to people, they were like, well, wasn't, wasn't Marty arrested for that? What he's already in jail. Wasn't he arrested for that? Um, and when I did some digging, I found out that, yeah, he is in jail, but it's for the insurance fraud. Um, he's never been tried for it. He's never admitted to anything. It's purely speculation at this point. Um, but there is kind of this thought that, well, he did it once. Why not do it again, especially when he was already threatening Lynn because of losing that court case? So I'm just going to say it. If you look at a map behind Lynn and Dale's house, there's this beautiful tree line that goes the whole way to 274. And where it comes out is about a half a mile down from where the road crossing is with Linton Road, uh, Linton Hill Road. Marty's house is on the opposite side, and I think we can all jump to the conclusion that if someone was leaving the house after murdering two people and setting it on fire, that they certainly wouldn't be going down the street. Yeah, and you can see that in the picture that'll be on Instagram of the neighborhood. Um, and it, if you look at it now, it's a little bit more cleared out. There's actually a church that bought a lot of property, and they had to cut down some trees to build the church. So it looks a lot more clear now that church wasn't put up until maybe like 08, 09. So, you know, at this time we see a lot more open space than what was even there in 93. So I think that's viable. Um, I mean, I never want to drag anybody's name down that isn't an official suspect or anything like that. But, um, it seems to have all the puzzle pieces that fit. Do we know where down, like where, what neighbor the gun was found in? If it was in that area no. or if it was like above? Okay. No, it just said a neighbor, but it did say it was along 274. And if you look the opposite direction, so like if he would have crossed the street and gone. There's still a tree line. Um well, there is, but it's actually, and I don't know how well you can see it on um aerial view of a map, but there's kind of a ridge and there's a, there's definitely a pond, but I think it, it'd be really difficult. It's not a path that you would take. Like you wouldn't want to go across the street the other way. Um, Cause then you'd have to, you know, go through this almost mountain-like ridge that's there, deal with this pond that's there. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that he would have gone that way. I think he would have gone the way that you're seeing in the Google Maps view, just because of the terrain out that way. Um, now, there are also rumblings about others who were close to Lynn and Dale who might have been involved. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name relationships. Um, but there is one specific person who was close to the couple who had previously been found guilty of a theft crime with an accomplice. Now, theft doesn't mean murder and arson. But this accomplice was accused of and admitted to conspiracy to kill a police officer in what seems to be kind of like a hit-like situation from the way the dockets read. And he had also been um, 
convicted of murdering another person. And the rabbit hole kept going a little bit, but it kept getting farther and farther away from Lynn and Dale specifically. So I'm not going to go into all of that right now. Um, but related to those two, there's the thought that this accomplice for the theft crime may have also been an accomplice for the murder and potential murder, and that maybe they were working together to try to find another hit person or kind of do something along those same lines with Lynn and Dale. Again, total speculation. Was anything stolen from their home? Not that we know of, but again, with the fire damage, they're not sure. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing obvious was stolen. Okay. Um, and there, I mean... There are a couple more details, but it starts to get really personal, and I really don't want to point fingers at anyone with this specific theory. But, I mean, that's basically where we stand. So we know that they were murdered, and then the fire was set. It happened at some point between December 7th and 8th in 1993, and there was a bike and the rest is basically speculation. Um, trying to figure anything else out. And like we noted about Dale's gun, who's to say he wasn't just out walking through the woods one day and set it down and forgot to grab it? Or it would be weird, but it could be possible. Um, so that's basically where we're at. If you do happen to have any information, you can report it anonymously to PA Crime Stoppers at 800-472-8477 or contact the Pennsylvania State Police Newport Barracks at 717-567-3110. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.